2: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis. On the show, we unpack the truths and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter.
3: Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the Joint Action Podcast, where we talk about health literacy in osteoarthritis. Now, People with osteoarthritis are encouraged to participate in self-management and education programs to help manage their symptoms. However, Australian data has shown that when people visit their general practitioner, rates of drug prescriptions are much higher than rates of lifestyle management. New models of care need to be developed to optimize the delivery of core osteoarthritis management. And in that conversation, health literacy is key. It's an important factor that's often overlooked and can potentially impact osteoarthritis outcomes. Health literacy refers to how people access, understand, and use health information in ways that benefit their health. People with low health literacy are at higher risk of worse health outcomes and poorer health behaviors. But on this week's episode of Joint Action, we have the pleasure of chatting to Steve Morris about health literacy, specifically in the context of osteoarthritis. Adjunct Associate professor, Steve Morris is the CEO of Arthritis South Australia. Steve was previously the CEO of NPS MedicineWise since 2018. That organization promotes the safe and wise use of medicines and other health technologies. He has worked in numerous clinical and leadership roles in the health sector, spanning pharmacy practice, community and hospitals, primary care, industry, and non-government organizations. Originally from the UK, Steve was Deputy Chief Executive of the National Prescribing Center. He was appointed an adjunct professor at the University of South Australia in 2018. Hello, Steve, and welcome to the show. Yeah, hi, Debbie. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure and it's a really important topic and really looking forward to digging into that with you. But before we do that, both for myself and also for the listeners, just some introductory questions to get to know you a little bit better. But can you just share with the listeners a little bit more about your background and what a typical day looks like?
2: Yeah, um, I'm actually a pharmacist by professional trade, though I've probably not practiced a clinical pharmacist for many years i kind of been in all areas of health, really, primary care, secondary care, tertiary care, government, non-government, uh, working overseas. I worked in a street clinic in Calcutta for a period of time in my, in my younger days. So I kind of moved in and out of roles to do with pharmacy, then broader health roles. I suppose I'm moving in and out of policy, service delivery and research. So all those things interest me. And I suppose my career is slightly eclectic, but I've kind of just gone with things which interest me and challenge me. So my career kind of followed that pathway. And... Uh, About 2009, I came over to Adelaide to be chief pharmacist and then then done other roles since then. So I certainly don't regret my move to Australia
3: those few years ago. I can't imagine why you would regret a move to Australia. But what does a typical day look like for you at the moment?
2: Yeah, a a typical day is interesting. Being a CEO of a not-for-profit, it can be very varied and interesting. So anything from talking to health ministers and advocating for service change, talking to consumers about their concerns talking to healthcare professionals about what might be to change in the system, as well as being focused on potential research opportunities as a consumer organisation, how we more involve consumers in research. And uh, being CEO of an organisation, you always have your your eye on cash flow. Uh, And fundraising has been a whole new experience for me in this role, and how important that is to sustain the work of small not-for-profits like Arthritis South Australia.
3: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a critical aspect of the role. And I would imagine in these times becoming more difficult as the economy tends to slow down a little bit. But Steve, when you're not doing your day job, what do you like to do?
2: Oh, look, I, I literally live a stone's throw away from the beach. And that's a real stone's throw, not a real estate definition of stone's throw. So I, I kind of like ambling along the beach with my dog. I do a bit of paddling in the water in, in some hours or just reading and, and drinking a beer. And my other great passion is football.
3: What variety of football are you talking about, given you're from Manchester, but you live in Australian rules football territory?
2: Both, but my initial love is the round ball game. So uh, a passionate follower of, of Manchester United. And I spend many evenings in the middle of the night following that team. Occasionally still get back to watch them. But as my wife would say, it's been the one consistent thing in my life, apart from her over the last 30 or 40 years. <laughs> I've some some love for AFL and I'm, a, I'm also a passionate Port Adelaide fan. So, yeah, I do like watching sports, not participating as much as I probably should do. But yeah, I love watching and supporting the two teams that I follow.
3: Oh, well, at least in Manchester United, you've had a great team to support for a long period of time. Not necessarily having their best year at the moment compared to previous years, but they've had a a great legacy that they're living up to, right?
2: Yeah, we had a great 25 years, the last 10 years. In fact, more or less when I left the uk david so i don't know there's an association but the last 10 years has not been so glorious (laughs) but like any fun you follow the highs and the lows and the highs become a lot higher because of the lows i think
3: yeah now steve complex question but you can distill it whatever way you want if you had to describe yourself in five words what would they be
2: caring i would say mischievous enthusiastic decisive driven
3: all great qualities um and i think some, for you know for someone in the role that you're in at the moment i think probably critically important for engagement with the community and policy and other people like that right
2: yeah look you have to be enthusiastic and passionate about an area like arthritis and really to try and instill that passion and advocacy in others
3: yeah oh, really really important now Today's topic, particularly given, you know, the variety of audiences that you speak to, but particularly for consumers, is really about health literacy. In the first instance, just to open this up a little bit, what is health literacy and why is it important?
2: Seems like a straightforward question, but try not to make such a complex answer. And really the two elements. And sometimes people only talk about the first element. So the first element is that the individual skills needed to find, understand. Appraise and apply information. So there's four aspects of skills, many of which can, can lead to inadequate health literacy. But the second issue, which is often I think um, not acknowledged or not or misunderstood, is then the context in which that health literacy applies, and that often leads to or is caused by the demands that the health system puts on the individual, whether the demands of an institution or demands of an individual health health professional. So I suppose just to give you an example of that. You could have somebody that's highly literate, goes to see their doctor, gets an additional diagnosis of RAOA, and because of the way that's explained to them and possibly the jargon that's used, they don't understand anything that's said to them. So a highly literate person in a particular context can be have more, less than adequate health literacy. So it really is that intersection of both the individual and their skills, the four skills that I mentioned, but also the context and the environment in which those are applied, which can make it really difficult. So it's always the interplay between the two things.
3: And in your role, obviously, as a non-government organisation looking after consumer advocacy for people with arthritis, is this a concern that you see commonly expressed by people calling and contacting your organisation?
2: Yeah, it is frequently. And whether it's their inability to navigate the system, whether they reflect that they had a long conversation with a clinician, but really couldn't recall a single thing that was said, whether they just can't um, even understand how the health system works. So all those components, or even written information they've been given, which they just don't comprehend. I think the other thing to to reinforce is the extent of this is often also underappreciated. The latest data shows that essentially 60% of the Australian population has a health literacy, which is inadequate to be able to navigate the health system and to make good decisions. That's 60%, which is quite astounding when you
3: think of it, really, in, in, in those terms. And so the size of
2: the problem is massive.
3: And the, um, the magnitude of those concerns around health literacy, do you think they're the same for musculoskeletal disease as they are for other diseases? And are there particular aspects about the management of musculoskeletal problems, in particular osteoarthritis, where this is really important?
2: Yeah, I think they generally do apply, but I think in in areas like uh, osteoarthritis, I think they're actually more important because the extent to which self-management in terms of taking care of the condition and achieving good outcomes is critical. You know, all the guidelines, all the national guidelines exemplify to the nth degree, David, as you know, about the importance of self-management and how that can can improve patient outcomes. But however, there's several con- constructs that from inadequate health literacy which lead to poor outcomes because of either lack of engagement with even the principles of self-care and understanding of it, and then taking actions, even if there's an understanding of what self-management might mean. So I think obviously it applies to a number of chronic conditions, but significantly conditions like osteoarthritis, where self-care is so fundamentally important to outcome.
3: Yeah, and I guess really just to affirm what Steve's saying there is that most of the recommendations from most of the international guidelines really see self-management and education as key elements of what we would ideally do for someone with osteoarthritis. And hopefully as we go through today, you'll really understand why health literacy can potentially impact upon that adversely. But I guess by, this, by the converse side, you know, if, if someone is particularly health literate, it may be advantageous for them as well.
2: Yeah, obviously the, the issue at the moment is 60% of them have an inadequate level of health literacy. How do we take actions to improve that? So with good health literacy, how can you potentially potentiate good outcomes?
3: Yeah, and so I guess following on from that, how can you, I guess, look at health literacy and the impact it has on you know health messaging or health service use? What impact is health literacy likely to have there?
2: I suppose at one, at one extreme it does lead to probably more admissions into the acute sector. It leads to inappropriate use of medicines or medicines not as they were intended. It probably leads to underutilisation of primary care and any form of kind of preventative medicine. And I think some some of the numbers in some of the research suggest that around about three to five percent of total health care costs attributed to poor health literacy. So it's that issue about people not being able to navigate the system, really engage with prevention therapies, really engage with self-management and more often than not, not take their medicines as prescribed
3: so you know i i think from you know the perspective of what you're saying there particularly around the use of health services and particularly the potential overuse of acute services there and there i'm thinking particularly around people with osteoarthritis who experience a flare of their pain which is part and parcel of what you'd typically expect with osteoarthritis but they then go off and think something terrible has happened to their knee their hip their hand they may get some imaging done and on, on the basis of that imaging go off and have services that they may not otherwise need such as a, a surgical intervention whereas if they had a good understanding of their problem potentially that understand that that flare was part and parcel of the disease it's likely to settle down in and of itself and there's a number of different things that you can do to help that flare to settle down.
2: Yeah and there's also the myth David around you know that osteoarthritis is still wear and tear condition just a condition of aging and that people can't lose weight to an extent they'll make a difference. So it's also the myths that pervade because of inadequate health literacy.
3: Yeah and those myths as you say are quite pervasive and there's there's lots and lots of them and that's something obviously we're trying to dis- dispel a little bit by some of the conversation we're having on this podcast. But there's still a long long way to go. Now Steve obviously key and critical element to this is within medicine is there's a lot of inequity. What's the role of disparities as it relates to health literacy? And what impact would you envisage that might have on a care a person receives? Do
2: you mean disparities between clinicians and consumers?
3: Disparities in terms of um, educational level, disparities in terms of uh, socioeconomic status, disparities in terms of racial differences. So, you know, lots of different opportunities there, but I'll let you comment on what you think is most relevant.
2: Yes, look, there's pretty strong evidence that levels of health literacy are lower in, in certain groups, including Indigenous populations, cold communities, older individuals and those that have linguistic issues. So there are clear areas where not only is health literacy challenged to the general population, but even more challenging to this group. And connected to that, the way in which we provide information doesn't really take those disparities as you call them into account and I think you know completely outside the world of osteoarthritis but some of the communication within the COVID era absolutely demonstrated that communication just via translation is not how you get key messages to those particular groups and it'd be the same issues within those particular areas in which it's even more important to take um, cognizance of health literacy and what's appropriate to that particular group to ensure that you really are doing what you can to get good messages across to people.
3: So just making that into a practical recommendation, what is it that health professionals can do better with regards, I guess, identifying those disparities being present and or making culturally appropriate messaging occur or or language differences to ensure that you cater for that? What are health professionals meant to do? And what, I guess on the other side of the coin, should consumers be asking for if they don't understand what's being said?
2: Yes, there's the role of the individual health professional. I think it's about connecting to what works within that particular community and taking their advice at what works and what is sound messaging. Because only by that we appreciate some of the kind of barriers that are occurring to messaging and good health literacy. So there are steps. I think a lot of it is around education, if I'm honest, about health practitioners really taking health literacy seriously as an issue That's a barrier to good health and good outcomes. And whenever you're working, including osteoarthritis, and trying to understand more about those contexts. And once you understand more about those contexts, and then the local drivers in your own individual system, in terms of those communities, about how you then construct good messaging in the right way.
3: Yeah, it's such an important topic. And, you know, you've provided us with some references, which we'll include in the show notes. But are there particular resources that you'd like to point people towards that might help? either a consumer to upskill their knowledge and or alternatively for a health professional to have a chance to reflect on the importance and value of health literacy?
2: Yeah, there are several. I'll I'll just mention a few of them, David. Um, I probably firstly refer back to an organisation I previously worked for, which is MPS Wise. Uh, They've actually just produced a toolkit on health literacy, which is well worth a look at. We also have individual resources for organisations, consumers and healthcare professionals. There's also two other components I think we were worth referring to. One is called Teach Back. And there is a website that kind of gives you the outline of that, which is a, a method that encouraging clinicians to employ, where essentially you're asking the patient to say back to you what you think you've just said to them. And conversely, there's something called Talk Back, which is the reverse for consumers. So there's two little two websites which deal with the two issues, which I think are fantastic.
3: And what's the Talk Back as opposed to the Teach Back?
2: The talkback is really just encouraging consumers to to, say, to, to ask those questions and, and reflect on what's said to them, to, to say back to the clinician, to say, for example, uh, have I understood, is this is what is this what you've said, doctor, kind of thing. So a so really kind of straightforward thing. So then this, I suppose, is something which I've started to use myself recently by the University of Sydney and their health literacy lab. So if you're giving out health information, lots of evidence suggesting the complexity of what we write is full of jargon, too complex. And this is a little kind of a piece of software they have, which is free to access, which basically tells you how complex your information is. And I was surprised the first time I put something through, it came back, I think, at the reading age of 12. And you should be aiming for a reading age maximum of eight. So it really makes you think about words like symptoms and chronic, which you might use routinely, say, as a clinician, but not words which are re- easily understood by most patients and consumers. So there are a few resources there, some for consumers, some health professionals. They're probably the four that I'll probably refer
3: to. Yeah, no, that's incredibly important. And I should probably run the podcast through there at some point in time to better understand whether we're actually communicating in a way that's going to be suitable for our audience as well. What do we know about health literacy at the moment? And what don't we know? Or what should we know more about in order to enhance this segment of care?
2: Well, I think reflecting on some of the things we've said already, David, is what we do know is the association between poor health issues and health outcome. So significant evidence suggests that you'll get poor outcomes. And some of the things we mentioned before around uh, utilisation of health resources, readmissions to hospitals. In the self-care, I suppose, component, particularly as it rates to OA, what we do know is it does affect both the understanding of self-care and choice within self-care. There's some evidence to suggest that. Even, I suppose, a step before that is acknowledging that you have and seek a diagnosis for osteoarthritis in the first place. So do you actually seek professional advice Is another element that's linked to health literacy? So that's kind of broadly what we know. What we don't know, I think, without digging too deep, is what kind of interventions actually work in a systematic way and what interventions work in the communities, disparate communities that we talked about before. So that's one of huge gaps in terms of uh, research evidence. And to be frank, it's not doesn't seem to be in a great area of focus for research across many specialities. Given its prevalence and that 60% of the Australian population could be described as uh, having inadequate health literacy, then there's not a level of research which I think matches the importance of the topic. So, yeah, I think in terms of implementation and what actually works, particularly in specific areas like osteoarthritis, I think there's a bit of a vacuum of evidence, David, from my
3: perspective. Sounds like any final words on the topic before we get into the next segment of the show, Steve?
2: Yeah, I'll just say that health literacy is everybody's business. For those people listening are consumers or health professionals or people that work in health services, I think it's incumbent on everybody to try to do what they can in their space to both acknowledge health literacy as being an issue in the first place, but also to take steps to do something about it. Because if we carry on doing what we're doing now, nothing will change.
3: Yeah, I think particularly as, as you said, if 60% of people don't have adequate health literacy and we don't make efforts and steps to improve that, I guess don't acknowledge that limitation with regards, you know, the, the diagnosis we make, the advice we give or the interventions we use, uh, then we're missing a huge, huge opportunity. A quick note before we dive into the second half of this episode. We love getting your feedback, things we should focus on, what we're doing well, and ideas for new topics to discuss. These mainly come through our email on hello at jointaction.info, but we would love to hear more through our Twitter account at JointActionOrg. There you can hear from your fellow listeners, and we can have a more lively discussion about new topics and what questions you might have. So again, that's at JointActionOrg on Twitter, and we look forward to hearing from you. Now, Steve, the next segment of the show is just a little bit of fun. But again, it's in in an effort to get to know you a little bit better. And it's called The Rapid Fire Round. So I'm just going to throw you a quick question and you just come back at me with a rapid response. But favourite book? Uh, Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Favourite movie? Fargo, one of the
2: Coen Brothers movies. A dog or a cat person? Oh, definitely a dog. You can't take a cat for a walk. Favourite quote? Favourite quote, I'll do uh, Albert Einstein. Life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. That's a
3: very apt and pertinent quote for, yeah. for what we do. Now, what's your favourite food? South Indian, particularly masala desserts. And is that something you picked up in India or in the UK? Initially in India, and then
2: sustained while I was in the UK.
3: <laughs> <laughs> do you have a bad habit?
2: Yeah, I shout at the TV when Manchester United are playing, particularly in the middle of the night, which is not great for the family.
3: I can't imagine it would be good for them. You might need a soundproof room there. Where would you next like to go on holiday?
2: Uh, I'd say a bit more of a South America, particularly
3: Peru and Chile, where I've never been. Wonderful. What superpower would you have, if any?
2: Definitely time travel.
3: Yeah, that'd be great. If you could meet anyone dead or alive, who would it be?
2: Uh, I've got to say Alex Ferguson, the greatest football manager ever.
3: So you think he's a whole lot better than the current Glasgow soccer uh, manager from Australia? Oh, yeah. Really? Because unfortunately, I'd have to say that, yeah. Uh, He's just getting started. Now, (laughs) what what would you do if money were not an issue?
2: Uh, I'd buy Manchester United Football Club.
3: (laughs) So you're obviously a diehard, passionate fan, aren't you? Now, Steve, if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? Going back
2: to some of the health literacy issues, I think I'd try and reduce the health fragmentation in our system. I think it's significant, and I think people often get lost in it. Particularly, it leads to inequitable access because of where you live, what your background is, or your ability to pay. And the health issues is a big component across those. So yeah, fragmentation, partly a funding issue, partly a professional issue, but we don't seem to be progressing in closing that fragmentation from my perspective.
3: Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a huge issue for people with osteoarthritis who might seek care in primary care, whether that be with their physiotherapist, their general practitioner, but oftentimes the communication with specialists to hospitals is really fragmented and problematic. Now, how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things within your role? Yeah, particularly
2: in the role now, look, I've always sought a kind of peer and mentor support. Uh, and I think peers and mentors often change depending on the context. So in my current role, I've spent a bit of time uh, connecting with people who understand a lot more about fundraising than I do, for example. And look, obviously, still from a health professional perspective with professional associations and whatever the research is. But I think both being a mentor and being a mentee a significant component, I think are keeping up to date because you can learn also as much from people you're mentoring as well as people that are mentoring you I think
3: yeah really valid advice I think for for anybody in any role really is you can't be an expert of everything and it's always helpful to to get other people's perspectives now we may have touched upon this already but are there any patient friendly resources that you'd like to share with the listeners
2: yeah, I, th- I think there are a few there is the issue called talk back or check back uh, which we'll provide a re- reference for that's really good for consumers there's the NPS medicine wise uh, website which has got a plethora of resources I think which uh, provide information for consumers and there's the health literacy editor we talked about just in terms of um, how do you how do you provide good messaging and, and
3: use the right words and be jargon free yeah hopefully something we can all learn from myself included now. Uh, my favorite question why do you do what you do what motivates you
2: yeah i think i'm always motivated by things that are a bit of a challenge and a bit different and you know try at least in in the people that you work with try and make a a difference or, or try and make some improvement that's what motivates me so all the roles i've had i've always tried to do that whoever i've worked with and whatever organization i've worked for um, particularly when you work for a, a not-for-profit consumer organization, you, you're there to advocate and support consumers, You'd be their voice where they don't have their own voice to try and improve systems and outcomes for those patients.
3: Yeah, such, such an important role that you do, and hopefully you continue to do it for many more years and our community can benefit from that. Now, Steve, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? I think it
2: would say don't stay still. Keep moving.
3: Yeah, we've got to keep moving for lots of different reasons. Osteoarthritis is obviously one of them. And in closing, is there any one piece of advice, knowledge, or wisdom that you'd like to give for people who have osteoarthritis? Yeah,
2: I think to type a few issues, I'd say just keep asking questions and don't feel fearful of asking questions because I think that's one of the biggest issues that I see is that people just in a health environment feel that they're not able to ask questions about their own healthcare. And we need to empower people, but people also need to you know, get themselves in situations where they feel comfortable asking questions. And there's probably one reference I haven't provided, David, which is Choosing Wisely, which is a great resource, again, hosted by the NPS MedicineWise. And that kind of provides at least outline frameworks and questions people can ask about their healthcare. My last time will be just keep asking questions and don't stop until you get the answer that you're satisfied with.
3: Yeah, such a, such a great way to finish and very appropriate advice for most of the consumers who are out there who have osteoarthritis. Steve, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us, sharing those really important insights um, and really look forward to to further interactions with you.
2: Yeah, thank you, David. I enjoyed it.
3: Health literacy is a really important topic. It helps us to understand how people access, understand and use health information in ways that might benefit their health. We know that this content area has important impacts on health outcomes and poorer health behaviors. So it's critical and key that hopefully you take some of the advice that Steve's given today, both about asking questions, but also demonstrating that you've understood the content area before you make any critical decisions about your health. There's a lot of resources that we'll include at the end in the show notes that I would encourage you to to take part in, to invest some time in, to educate yourself a little bit better. Because for osteoarthritis, where self-management is so, so important, it's really important you have the best information and understand that as well as you can. Thank you again for your support of the podcast, for taking the time to listen to us. And between now and when next we speak, Thank you and take care of yourself.
1: Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointaction.org. This podcast is hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional.